This is Unleash Africa, the place to find news and information about the growth and development of the countries in Africa. I'm your co-host, Zach Smith. Soon we'll be joined by our host, John Akile, author of Unleashed, a new paradigm of African trade with the world. In this episode, John delves into a topic that he considers political malpractice. What leaders and countries are doing, or in some cases not doing, that is hindering the success of their country. He describes how they can look towards countries such as Singapore as a guiding light for positive economic and political change. Without further ado, welcome John. Hello Unleash Africa fans and uh, listeners from around the world. Uh, We just want to come to you again with... um, some phenomenal information, information that is uh, both representative of uh, what is happening in the world, but also directly related to the affairs of the African continent. I, I just I love the continent of Africa and the diversity of the continent of Africa. It truly is a, um, a, a vast representation of... Um, God's plan for humanity, because there are all sorts of colors. You have uh, obviously the predominantly large black Africans, you have uh, white Africans, you have uh, Arab Africans, you have Indian Africans, you have all sorts of uh, races intermingled on the continent of Africa. And Africa has a unique um, uh, perspective uh, to to grant to the world. So it is imperative that Africans begin to stand up, take their place in the world as citizens, fully um, uh, incorporated citizens, equal to other citizens of the world. And it, but it has to happen in a, an environment where Africans have made a stand based on their ability to manage their affairs, on their ability to contribute uh, to uh, the growth of the global economy. And it can and will happen if Africans take the bull by the horns, if Africans make the right choices. Um, We've been talking about a huge aspect of the economic growth, economic development, growth, prosperity of African countries that is lacking. And I'm referring to governance competence, right? We talked about, we've been, we've been treating this subject uh, about governance competence. We've been treating it by using examples uh, of China, examples of South Korea, how uh, the, uh, the um, intrepid leaders of these two countries, and, and we've also talked a little bit about, uh, um, about Singapore, uh, incorporated Singapore, but how the intrepid leaders of these two uh, countries, of these three countries rather, and others, right? They're, they're, you know, we don't talk about Japan as much, but Japan really started the entire movement of export-oriented industrialization. But what we've been talking about about these countries is the intrepid nature of the leaders that transformed the countries from poverty to prosperity. Deng Xiaoping transformed China, built the foundations on which China is running today. Uh, Park Chung-hee 
the late Park Chung-hee, of, of course, these are all late uh, individuals. The late Park Chung-hee laid the foundation for the prosperity that South Korea is enjoying today. Just like in Singapore, the foundation of Singapore was laid by the initial rule, the initial uh, role played by the first leadership of Singapore. And, you know, we, we've really addressed the Singaporean miracle in many ways. But the book, From Third World to First, by Lee Kuan Yew, which is a phenomenal book, lays bare the progress, well, the start, the establishment, the progress, and eventually the success of, of uh, Singapore. Uh, Lee Kuan Yew is a, of, is a leader of immense uh, gravitas. When Singapore started his journey, Lee Kuan Yew was a young lawyer, um, and he was able to surround himself with really very uh, motivated uh, individuals. Not motivated for riches, for the accumulation of riches, motivated to transform their country and to preserve their country, to make their people economically successful. How else can a country that has literally very little internal uh, you know, market, there were only 3 million people at the time, 3 plus million people, um, you know, a kind of an entreport. Um, their only claim to fame at the time was being a, you know, a transshipment point for, you know, uh, Malaysian and Indonesian um, palm oil uh, to the world. And uh, because they had a very small market, you really couldn't base your industrialization on your 3 million plus people. And on top of that, they were, you know, struggling with unemployment because the British base, naval base uh, of the British, then, you know, we, this was part of the British Empire. Uh, the naval base was moving back uh, to Britain because Britain was retrenching from his uh, ambitions of empire because it had no more money. Uh, Britain was at that point, you know, poor um, and, and, you know, retrenching as rapidly as they, as they could. Uh, they had just suffered the humiliation of the Suez uh, crisis. Uh, and so, you know, Singapore lost its bread winner, so to speak. Um, and, and these men... Gong, um, you know, uh, the leaders of uh, Singapore at the time, the you know, Lee Kuan Yew, Go Keng Sui, uh, and so on and so forth, others had to come up with ways to make Singapore economically viable, and nobody gave them a chance. Nobody gave them a chance. How would you give them a chance? The three plus million people. They are just broken from, well, they were not broke, they, they didn't break away, but they were evicted, kicked out of the Republic of Malaysia. 
that, that the British had shotgun marriage that the British had cobbled together to enable Singapore, they hoped, enable Singapore to survive. But for some reason, the Malaysians and the Singaporeans just couldn't get along. And so Singapore was evicted, kicked out of the Malaysian uh, Republic of Malaysia. And so here was this tiny itty-bitty land with uh, 3 million people trying to become an independent country. Difficult. Uh, Lee Kuan Yew, the young Lee Kuan Yew, you can check out videos on YouTube. The young Lee Kuan Yew um, got up to speak to the Singaporeans when they were kicked out of uh, uh, the Republic of Malaysia. And um, the man was weeping because it was a dark day for Singapore. This was, uh, I believe, 1963, uh, you know, correct me, perhaps. But so how did they fare? How did they do? This is why governance competency is so crucial. By the way, they were not competent in governance at this time. They were not because they hadn't done anything. They knew what they wanted to do, and they tried to build the resources to enable them to do it. Right? They were scrambling, if you will, to figure out how to make it happen. What did they do? They identified the crucial importance of their circumstance and situation. Singapore at the time, you know, basically a, a, a tiny itty-bitty country, you know, a, uh, an island state surrounded by very angry uh, neighbors, Malaysia, Indonesia, because these neighbors felt, and much larger nations, uh, neighbors, obviously, uh, but they all felt that, uh, you know, Singapore had Chinese uh, immigrants, uh, Chinese citizens that were interfering in their affairs. And consequently, um, they were not friendly towards Singapore. And quite frankly, Singapore did not think they would, the leaders of Singapore did not think they could survive. But fast forward, what, what did they do? Uh, you know, what, what did they do in response? They recognized that, you know, as a, an island state with no real market, they had to become a transshipment point, not just of products that were coming through their port, but a manufacturing hub that would produce goods and services made, you know, by established organizations and companies around the world, and then export that. That's how Singapore has become one of the world's most prolific prolific exporters. They brought in companies uh, and, and it was, this is through the Economic Development Board that was established for this very purpose. The, the Economic Development Board was established to go out and sell Singapore to uh, manufacturers, especially in the United States. That's, that's how they really made their mark. The high-tech, uh, the high-tech industry in the United States was at that time just establishing itself. So there were, you know, people making uh, calculators and so on and so forth. Now, of course, it's 
merged into uh, morphed rather into uh, cell phones and and computers and so on. Uh, they were able to bring in uh, GE, that's General Electric. They were able to bring in um, uh, Hewlett Packard. They were able to bring in Texas Instruments at the time. Uh, so they brought in they they came and sold Singapore as a place where companies can comfortably come and manufacture things for export back to their home markets and to other markets in the region. A strategy, right? At the time, nobody was doing the strategy. Not not anyone. No one was doing it to the degree that Singapore was trying to do it. But they put the resources together and empower the Economic Development Board of Singapore to go out and make this happen. The rest is history. When this started, Singapore was a $400 per year in uh, per capita income. They are now almost $70,000 in per capita income. They have vastly improved the lives and circumstances of Singaporeans. Singapore is the first world nation. That's why Lee Kuan Yew's book, the late Lee Kuan Yew, um, you know, the maestro of the the you know economic miracle of Singapore, um, is from third world to first. Right? They went from third world to first within a generation. So it's a great point at which one can look at the metaphor of uh, uh, what I call transformative leadership. And, you know, tied to that is um, governance competency, right? It takes trans- transformative leadership to create an environment in which there's governance competency because g- governance competency, you know, we, it's a fancy term. But what it means is just, you knowing what you're doing and doing what you're doing like you're supposed to do it and doing it right. You know what you're doing and doing what you're supposed to be doing and doing it right, Right? You know what you're doing like you're supposed to be doing it and doing it right. That's what it means. You know, it, it, at, at the baseline, it means the government understands where its people need to go and shepherding the people, their resources, their entire population, to get to that point. That's what Singapore under Lee Kuan Yew was able to do. They brought the Singaporeans from poverty, turned them into very pros- a prosperous people. The Japanese did the same, right? The Meiji Revolution, we talked about that in other podcasts. The Meiji Resolu- Revolution was the transformation of Japan from a feudal society to a modern industrial society. And Japan, in order to come out of their you know, their, their impoverishment, okay? A lot of people don't realize Japan was at one time a very poor country. In order to come out of their impoverishment, they had to create an environment where industrialization was able to flourish. They changed their society. They changed their society completely. We'll talk about this in another podcast. It's a, it's a great profile, both in courage and in governance competency. They changed, they completely changed their society and put Japan on the road to being one of the top economic engines 
on the face of God's planet. So what stops African countries? Pray tell, if you, under, if you know what stops African countries, right? I will tell you what stops African countries. It's evil. Evil greed. Evil greed. That's what stops African countries. It's satanic greed. Because people get into power in African countries. They get into politics. They get into power for the purpose of robbing and stealing from their people so they can paste their car their their cars that they don't that they stole money to buy, paste their homes that they stole money to buy, they paste their planes that they stole. How can you as a government official in any African country own a plane that costs millions of dollars? How? And you're driving this you're flying this plane in the in broad daylight, full view of everybody. You own these properties in full view of everybody as a government employee in an African country. You know, you, you have African legislators, you know, in Kenya, Nigeria, two really good examples. They pay their government, uh, their, their political legislators, they pay them the equivalent of what people in the richer countries earn. You know, senators in Nigeria, the, 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 the people in Kenya, they make the same type of money that a U.S. senator, you know, a member of the uh, Lord, House of Lords and Commons in U.K. make. How is that possible? How can you, with good conscience, create an environment where you make more money? And, and that's just their salary. Doesn't include all the benefits that they give them that the people cannot afford. And in the meantime, these people run the poorest countries in the world. They have, you know, governance competency is the worst on the planet. They're terrible human beings, evil human beings. If you want to use that term to describe them, they are evil because they're, 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 they're robbing their people blind. In the midst of grave poverty. Grave poverty. And here's the key. When we talk about governance competency, let's use an analogy. Um, right now, you have this global pandemic. By the way, you know, as, as, it's a great segue to say to, my, to our listeners, to, to fans of Unleash Africa, please, please, please be safe. Listen to your medical um, uh, advisors uh, and follow the lead of your medical advisors, not necessarily your leaders. So be pay close attention to what the doctors are saying about how you should behave and keep your family safe. Now, you know, we have a situation here where, you know, uh, I, I am a dual citizen. I, I am... Uh, a U.S. citizen, um, but also a citizen of uh, Nigeria. Um, so, you know, I should, uh, full disclosure at this point, uh, our government here in the U.S. has been presiding over one of the most colossal failures of governance in the history of America. In the history of America, we have the best doctors, 
bar none. No, nobody questions that. We have some of the most intellectually competent um, leaders on the planet. Nobody questions that, right? Of course, the America is blessed, you know, the land of just great abundance, oil, you know, oil was first discovered, not first discovered here, but at least commercialized here. That's crude oil, for those who do not know. Uh, the great uh, entrepreneur, uh, Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller, created the Standard Oil Company that became one of the largest organizations in the history of the world. Uh, created here, right? Founded in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, you know, you, you, you just the vastness of the resources available to America is, is un, unquantifiable. Uh, you know, America is one of the largest uh, agricultural countries in the world. Uh, the Midwest of the United States is a major and prolific producer of agricultural products. So when you talk about resources, very few countries compare with the resources that the United States has created. So here we are facing this pandemic, and somehow we have managed to turn the pandemic into a profile of how not to govern. How is that possible? Governance competency, that's how. When you take a situation that is not political and make it political, a situation sh that should be apolitical. Why? Because the virus is not political, right? The virus is an equal opportunity infector. It infects any and everything that it can infect. If it could infect animals, it would infect animals. Well, it, it did infect animals, came from animals, jumped species in China. But when you look at how the rest of the world dealt with this, all, well, there's still some crazy other places. You have Brazil that, that now I think the president is now infected, right? You had UK at one point, then the prime minister of UK was infected. But, you, you, you know, so you had people that were turning this process into a political football, in a political football that they can kick around. Whereas you had all those that just listen to the medical authorities. The world has dealt with pandemics many times. Going back to the medieval ages. They know how to do The doctors have been reading and learning about pandemics. They know how to deal with it. Right? They've been, they've been dealing with it. Doctors and the medical community have been dealing with pandemics for centuries. So they came out right when this thing was happening. This is what you should do. Of course, politics became involved. People decided that pandemic was a problem politically. When they should have washed their hands politically off the pandemic and said to the medical community, yeah, you have at it. We don't know what to do with this thing, but we trust you to fix it. So that the entire population would be listening to the medical community, not to politicians. Now, what is the result? The result is in places where people listen to the medical community and doctors, they've suppressed the pandemic. 
flattened and brought it down. They are killing COVID-19. In places where people thought it's politics, like in the United States, um, no, the pandemic is raging. Still. Where people have turned the wearing of face masks, masks into politics. That's governance. That's what I'm referring to about African countries. It is the medical equivalent of misgovernance that Africans are experiencing in the economic environment. In the economic environment, the governance of African countries is the worst in human history. Because here's a continent blessed with resources. Here's a continent that has probably more than its share of um, both raw material resources and human resources. There are now over a billion people on the African continent. And Africans are the youngest. African labor force is able, capable, willing to do anything. Yet, you have leaders sitting on top of this mine of riches, mine of opportunities. And all they can think of is their pocket. All they can think of is how do they steal money from their people, money that they should invest and use to unleash the immense potentialities of their citizens. This is what governance is all about. So when you hear us talk about governance competency, picture in your mind an environment of prosperity, but that is instead mired in poverty. That's African countries. That's the direct result of terrible, incompetent governance. Let that sink in for a minute. And I want you to understand why Unleash Africa podcast is so important why we think you should share it, why we think you should spread the word along with us, join with us on this journey to bring knowledge, to bring reality, to bring the facts, bringing the facts as they are, not just to the people of Africa, but to the world in general. Because, you know, what, we, what African countries have become is an environment where everyone thinks they can project what they expect African people to be doing to the people, to the leaders of Africa. People from around the world come to African countries to sell this, that, and the other. And Africans buy it hook, line, and sinker. In Nigeria, they bought the steel mill projects, two big steel mills that has cost Nigeria billions, and yet all wasted money, totally wasted how do you build a steel mill without first considering, oh, where are we going to get the raw materials for this steel? How, how do you do that? How do you build a steel mill without first determining the feasibility of the steel mill? I can tell you how. You do that when the people who are building the steel mill are more concerned about how, money, how much money they can siphon from that project for their own pockets. Evil. Evil greed. Satanic greed is the reason African countries are poor. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for taking the time uh, to hear this. This is, this is hard-pounding stories, hard-pounding.
pounding words, heart pounding, philosophical, and if you will, transformative ideas that African countries and African people need. So share us with your friends, share us with your audience. This generation of Africans must ensure the economic prosperity and survival of the African continent and its people. Thank you for listening to this month's podcast. Please visit us online at unleashafricantrade.com slash podcast and stay up to date with all of our latest episodes so you can hear unique, exciting, and transformative ideas about trade between African countries and the world. The Unleash Africa podcast is produced every month. It serves as a continuing conversation about African countries as a viable trading partner in the global economy in order to add jobs, increase wealth, and promote understanding between Africa and the world. Show notes for today's podcast can also be found at UnleashAfricanTrade.com. There you can follow John and the Unleash Africa podcast team on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Instagram. You can also purchase John's book, Unleashed, A New Paradigm of African Trade with the World. Get automatic updates by adding the Unleashed Africa podcast to your favorite RSS feed or podcast client such as iTunes or Stitcher or follow us on SoundCloud. Join us next month for another episode of Unleash Africa. Until then, live well and be prosperous. And check us out at UnleashAfricanTrade.com.